This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today I brought my Hommer pants because it's Hommer time. That's right. It's Hommer time. Sonny Hom is on the show, Director of Marketing and Strategy at BD Living. This was a this was a phenomenal conversation. I'm, I'm just realizing there probably are some millennials out there who don't know who MC Hommer is. <laughs> Um, and, and I'm a little, I'm a little, Sonny You're, is probably closer to our age, I would think. So he, 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 he makes the reference to himself. Yeah. I think he definitely understands who Homer is. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's our age. Uh, uh, tall drink of water. He's on YouTube. Go check it out over there. He looks well. younger, but, the, but we're, we're pretty old looking for our age, me That's, specifically. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Sonny Homs on the show, Director of Marketing and Strategy at BD Living. Yes. Uh, this is a really interesting conversation. goes in a number of ways that I was not expecting. Right. One of them was uh, that he's a co-producing a documentary that's just coming out about hockey in North Korea, which was interesting. Super interesting. But, uh, but more along the lines of uh, talking about kind of the internal workings of BD, the market, how they're, uh, how they're evaluating the market. It was, it, it went in directions and that successful decisions that they've made yeah. and kind of where the company, where, where they see the future, where he sees the future of development companies and in some really interesting market insights and some predictions. I, Sonny I, is not afraid to lay the hammer down <laughs> when it comes to predictions. <laughs> 
That's right. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. Okay. Enough of the enough of the references, though. We could we could do this all day. What else do we got before we cut to our interview with Sunny? What else do we got this week? We got the Oakland tip. So yes. this is our new brokerage. Very excited to be at Oakland Realty. Yes. Uh, fantastic environment there. Secret came with four potential <laughs> jingles, and and and, 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 and we, we had to make a decision. <laughs> Secrets fired. <laughs> Secret will no longer be with the program. <laughs> we're 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 gonna just here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna just move forward with the Oakland tip. But you know, I I was speaking to some a listener the other day, and they said, you know, I love when you guys talk about the city, the pop culture, book references, that sort of thing. So what I'd like to do at least today, and we'll see how it goes. But I'd like to hear the Oakland tip. Then I want your personal tip, and it can be anything. Yeah, that that seems like a good idea. I think uh, you're also uh, just as a in in life, yes. you're a guy with lots of uh, recommendations. I am. You you come up with a recommendation all the time. So I don't even know if it has to go back and forth. I think you're going to have a lot of recommendations. So I have a lot of recommendations. Um, yeah, but this is so basically not thought out. We're just going to riff on a tip every week, and uh, and then we'll give you the well thought out one from Oakland Realty. Yeah. Is well, that let's, right? let's well let's start with the Oakland tip. Okay, so Oakland's tip this week, know your why right. when you're buying. And what Oakland means by this, is it a principal residence or is it an investment property? Because if it's an investment property, you have to think about it entirely differently. I think this is something we cover on the show quite a bit. We do. Take all the emotion out. Either it fits with your real estate investment goals and provides the return you're looking for, or it doesn't. It's pretty cut and dried. Yeah. Whereas and- obviously- if your why is principal residence, there's you're looking at it through a, a different lens, totally different. But lens. the the, re, the reality is that you need to prep up front and understand exactly what you're going to be using this property for, right? And you need to also inform your agent of your why because that will help the agent kind of clarify the process and help you make a, a sound decision in a market like ours. And that's your Oakland tip. That is your Oakland tip. And Matt, you have a personal tip. I have a personal tip. This came up uh, earlier today. I was with. Uh, an Irish listener, actually. Oh, yeah. Dan. Shout out to Dan, uh, nice. who may be listening. The he's Irish, good crack. The, he's good crack. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of Irish uh, Connie McGinty. Yeah. We've, we've, Shout we've out to talk. Connie. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of Irish guys. Anyway, The Irishman. It's out today on Netflix. This is the new Martin Scorsese. You've heard of this. I've it's about three this, hours yeah. long by the sounds of things. Yeah. It's the Jimmy Hoffa story. Is this the Jimmy Hoffa story? It is. It's the Jimmy Hoffa story as told by a guy who claims to have the inside track. Uh, it's got... <laughs> on the whereabouts of Jimmy <laughs> on the whereabouts, Yeah. It's got Robert De Niro, Al Pacino. Who else? Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci's back. Oh, Secret makes an appearance. It, interestingly, interesting. <laughs> so keep going. And I said to Dan, uh, and maybe in preparation for this, but maybe not. I'm not sure why. I just finished Casino... 1995 epic from Martin Scorsese last night. Definitely worth a revisit. So anyway, The Irishman's out today. If you don't have Netflix, it's worth a subscription, I would Why'd say. you do that, Karen? <laughs> that's good, fellas. Oh, that's good, fellas. Okay, sir. So, uh, what, what, what is... Casino is... Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Casino's Casino, yeah, good, fellas, in the desert. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. it's very good. Yeah. Gory, though. Gory. Okay, right, right. All so, right, so there you go. How'd that go? That... <laughs> I was... Uh, I don't know if we'll be doing that segment again, but uh, it was... It was 
It was decent. We also got Vancouver Real Estate Live. We do. This is our third live event. It's December 11th at 7 p.m. This is the holiday version. Yes. And this is more for the person that doesn't listen to this show at the gym, or maybe you do listen to this show at the gym or while you're driving or wherever you are right now. Uh, You know, we get it. We're in, we're, we're probably, you're probably not watching us. But for the live event, you actually come out, you hang out with us at your computer, you have a beer, you get to chat, you can ask questions. What do they call that? Ask, ask, ask me, me anything. anything. This was the thing. The last one we had Michael Yu on, it was a great one. We thought, okay, we're going to spend an hour talking about real estate disruption. Yeah. Turns out some people came up out with questions. We basically just chatted for an hour. It was It was amazing. Questions uh, that kind of ran the gamut uh, in terms of real estate. So, well, yeah, we've this... we've almost stopped having like a topic now, right? Like it's really just come and hang out and talk about real estate because the conversation could go anywhere. It could talk. We could talk about the market. We could talk about a specific property. We can talk about really anything that you're excited to talk about. That's that's what this is for. And a lot of like basic, if you're a lot of basic information as well, like the evergreen stuff about. Yeah, I what I like mix. What I like about this too is like yeah, first time home buyer questions, then first time investor questions to to high level to high level stuff. And our guest on December 11th at 7 p.m. is unreal. It's yeah. not going to be announced yet, but no. uh, but you'll want to come out YouTube live. Going to be a great event. B y o e eggnog. That's right. And it's the holiday edition as well. So the holiday so edition. Bring your holiday sh- cheer. Bring your holiday cheer. It's also going to be live at the Bento Box, another sponsor of ours. Yes. Bento Box has these shows like Best Thing Ever. It's what the best foods in Vancouver. All December, they do tests, taste yeah. tests. All December, they're doing just holiday programming. And they're and rating. We're, and yeah. we're doing, I think, well, Vancouver Real Estate Live's on the Bento Box yeah. uh, channel. Yep. We're doing another one, I think. So it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and really, if you, are, if you are looking for different things you should try this holiday season, in Vancouver. why not? Why not check out Best Thing Ever? Uh, yeah. It really is great. Well, yeah. And Bento Box is the future. There's no, no denying that. Yeah. And last but not least, before Hammer time, we have Vancouverism, Larry Beasley's signed book. We're giving one away after the interview, so stay tuned for that. Right. These Google reviews, they just don't quit, and they, neither does Vancouverism. So, yeah. But the, let's, let's, let's cut to this interview. It's a good one. Yeah, this interview is too legit to quit. Okay, so we're here with Sonny Hom. Director, Marketing, and Strategy at BD Construction. How are you doing, Sonny? Doing great, that was especially great. after that, that type of introduction. <laughs> Holy smokes. I should say it's Hammer time. How it's long did it take Hammer me? Time. It, it, how long did it take me to bring that up? Hey, it's, anytime it's Hammer time, we're on. We're on. Yeah, my A-game's here. That, that's, your, that's your office uh, nickname. It's it's transitioned to my office nickname. Started an indoor rowing studio, but we'll we'll, we'll save that story for later, maybe off camera. <laughs> <laughs> That's for the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast at night version. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so Sunny, first of all, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Um, as you can tell by my last name, Hom, or maybe you can't. Um, my background's Korean, so Korean Canadian. Immigrated here when I was three years old with my family. Uh, grew up in Maple Ridge, Port Coquitlam. 
Um, since then, kind of went to school locally here at UBC, studied uh, Bachelor's of Commerce, and I've just fell in love with the city that we grew up in. So all of my family, friends are primarily based here. A lot right. of my relatives are still overseas in Korea. So I do make trips back and forth, but uh, Vancouver's home. Um, outside of the real estate world, I like to uh, spend time. I spent a lot of time on the water. Um, I was an ex-Canadian uh, national dragon boat athlete. <laughs> really? Yeah. Holy. If, no big whoop? Hey, it's uh, no big book, but uh, I also competed against, you know, you know, every other genre of age classes and, and you, know, I'm, you know, all kidding aside, Dragon Boat and spending water on the, in Vancouver is such a fortunate opportunity just to get totally. out, outdoors, right? So Dragon Boat is, uh, it's a, uh, it's a boat. <laughs> yeah. It's a boat. It's just, for our listeners at home. Yeah. <laughs> for the sophisticated Scalina brothers. What is a boat? So, uh, so it's uh, 20 seats in a canoe. Right. With a drums person and a steersman. Right. Like You'll see it on, the back. on exactly. False Creek, right? Yeah. But it's, uh, man, you have to have a lot of strength. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating once you kind of get into the sport, how technical, you know, at the competitive level you get. Like your, your middle seat operates completely different than your front seat and your back seat. But uh, interesting fact about the sport of dragon boat, Vancouver actually has the largest dragon boat community in North America. And that was really? born um, in the 1986 Vancouver Expo when I believe it was a Chinese um, part or the, um, uh, the expo there that they showcased was the sport of dragon boat. So that was their contribution to the expo. And since then, since 86, it's been a massive sport, as you can see on the False Creek area. Yeah. That always, you know, you see people ripping up and down that yeah. creek. So, yeah, it has a, a huge tie to the Vancouver Expo and kind of like the modern recent sort of history and you know, Vancouver recreational activities. Yeah, yeah. Speaking hmm. of recreational activities, before we get to uh, real estate here, Sonny, you also recently directed a movie. <laughs> I definitely not directed. Um, directed by Nigel Edwards, a close friend. Oh, okay. But, okay, uh, okay co-produced uh, with a team of talented individuals. Um, yeah, so the, the, the documentary that we co-produced and made, um, we spent close to three years in North Korea tracking the lives and the, the, the lifestyle and the culture of North Korean ice hockey players. So what? we spent, I think it was close to five how, trips. How, not to get too far off, but how did that come about to look into that? Yeah. That seems like a super interesting thing to look at, but but how? Absolutely. Um, Any time that you involve sports in general, I think it kind of, breaks down barriers or any kind of political differences, cultural differences. So that's where we wanted to focus our conversation is, you know, everything that you see on documentaries in North Korea, especially the stuff that we see here um, outside of in the Western world, it's always been about politics. You know, what is Kim Jong-un up to these days? How many nuclear missiles have they fired off? But what we wanted to do was actually um, really engage and do an expose on the human side of the North Korean story. So, you know, beneath all the layers of the politics, like what does one individual that lives in Korea actually think, you know, what's their day-to-day life like? Um, how do they interact with their friends from yeah, a yeah. social level? And so you were looking at really good hockey players, though, in North Korea. Exactly. So we had the um, the opportunity through um, 
the Ice Hockey Federation, the North Korean Ice Hockey Federation, where we had a contact there where, you know, ice hockey was, at the time when we started doing the sport, it became a, a focus on the Korean Peninsula just with the 2018 Pyeongchang Olympics coming up. Yeah. And we submitted a proposal to follow an ice hockey uh, team, which, and you know, relatively in North Korea, it's a very, very small sport. So it gave us a pretty... Um, uh, a, a, you know, a good opportunity to kind of have an inroad where we could have a direct access to a, a very elite level level of players. Right. Whereas if it was soccer or basketball, it was you had to go through a few more bureaucratic sort of levels. Huh. So yeah, ice hockey was a small sport in North Korea that allows us allowed us to get a huge sampling or a huge perspective on on what life is there. Yeah. Wow. So last question, and I I'm guessing from that last answer that. It's really about kind of, hey, we're all human. But what was the strangest? Because were you in North Korea? Yeah, I've yeah. been there close to six times now. What, what, is this, what was the strangest kind of uh, thing about North Korea or about the hockey players or about how anything in relation to the movie? Um, the stra- in relation to the movie? Ooh, that's a, that's a tough question, but a good it's one. It's a loaded question. Too. Yeah. Why, why are you assuming it's strange? No, no. What's different, right? No, absolutely. Yeah, different, um, not strange. Yeah, strange yeah, yeah. is not. Yeah. Abnormal, maybe. No, just joking. <laughs> I, would, I would say the, the biggest learning or takeaway was the fact that... Um, you know, like they're not all like, and they're not all that different. You know, the way that they tie their skates, step onto the ice, and their goals of, you know, scoring a goal and winning a game is no different than a Canadian ice hockey player. Like I thought, you know, this the, the wildest experience would be going there and really trying to understand why they're playing ice hockey at a at an elite level. Like I mean, they're not going to be making it to the Olympics anytime soon, right? Mm-hmm. But like, what is their motivation and incentive? So. um I thought, you know, a lot of the conversations leading up to it was, oh, are they, you know, handpicked and forced to play ice hockey? Are they kind of put to the, you know... Like the, the Red Army. Exactly. Yeah, 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 But in fact, like, it's absolutely not the case. It's, you know, they have every choice and really in an ironic way, freedom to elect the sport that they want to focus on, to go through it as an amateur professional athlete and the country sort of takes care of, of their players. But the biggest takeaway for me was their passion and their determination to win is no different. The reason why, you know, a lot of Canadian athletes go through the ringer of, you know, becoming a professional or semi-pro athlete. Right. You know, it's through their, their uh, dedication, their passion, just like their human spirit to like just do better every single day. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that was actually a learning curve for us as a, as a takeaway, but Strange things. I mean, yeah, there's no doubt there's some strange things when you go there. Everything's foreign to them and to us, right? So, like, we're, we're cross, I think, you know, cross pollinating such a different set of cultures. That, right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. A lot of interesting process getting into the country. Um, there would be, but uh, one of our team members who's one of the co co-producers he's been there over 60 times and a quick shout out to him his name's matt reichel and he owns uh, uh, a really a, a, a cultural um, exchange company where he engages different countries around the world through bridging sort of gaps like this so he spends a lot of time in north korea yemen afghanistan yeah. and the company is called nursha network but uh so through him we're able to sort of bypass and get through some of the the, kind of the bureaucratic, hurdles. exactly right yeah very cool well 
so it sounds like you're uh, a guy who wears many hats, but <laughs> but your your main gig is at at BD Construction. Can you can you tell us a little bit uh, about yourself and about the company you work for? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we formally go by BD. So BD, um, it was normally um, or formally back in the day, BD Development Group. But now we've sort of amalgamated under one sort of brand, BD. Um, and the group of divisions that we have is BD Industrial, BD Living, which focuses on the residential side, BD Construction, and our BD Capital Division. And uh, most recently, last year, Ryan Beatty and the Beatty family launched uh, a program where he pledged $50 million to start up a, a fund where they would um, uh, help students that were that had promising futures or they had, uh, you know, strong apt, apt to excel in life, but they just didn't have all the different fortunate set of, set of opportunities to have equal rights or equal opportunities to get out there um, to enroll in a, in a post-secondary education. So that's called BD Luminaries. So there's really five divisions that operate under BD. But uh, the side that I'm most focused on is BD Living on the residential multifamily side. Right. Okay. And and why why real estate? Yeah, it's... Um, I would say, um, I mean, why not? Um, you know, I, when I was studying, <laughs> I was, my background was uh, I was studying, going into specializing in marketing and international business. So I studied abroad in Singapore and South Korea. And while living there, um, it just opened my eyes to the potentials around placemaking, uh, potentials around really like this, these mega structures that were going up. I was like, holy um, holy shoot like this is incredible and i and i came back here and as soon as i came back my first term back in my fourth year i stepped into um one of my mentors at the time his name was mark monroe he was a real estate prof at uh, ubc he uh he helped me kind of guide some of the he guided me with some questions and said hey you know you have a marketing background you have an interest in real estate so where do you think you could um, help me to to try to to um, at least have an introductory sort of um uh, explore, exploration. How do I explore into the real estate side? So you literally at the time, it was even called the condo guide or the new home condo guide. It was the magazine. Um, and it was very thin at the time. And, you know, it wasn't even Magnum. It was still platinum and there's Mac. And I think Rennie, um, was there, but he pointed at the bottom right corner and he said, well, these are the companies that you should start looking into. These are real estate marketing firms mm-hmm. that specializes in project marketing. So you have a technical background with your marketing background, this is the development side. So that's how I got introduced. And since then, you know, every single day, it's something that's, um, um, you know, a topic of conversation, no matter if I'm around the family dinner table with family or friends, um, you know, real estate is involved in every, uh, you know, facet in our life, whether you, you're, you need a place to live, to work or play. And I love being a part of that conversation, whether it's uh, for on the residential side or the retail or the commercial. Yeah. Can you can you walk us through maybe a day in the life of the director of marketing and strategy at BD? Oh, a uh, day in a life. Um, I don't think there is one like a, a, a strict regiment or schedule. But if um, I think that's one of the reasons why I love my job and a lot of my colleagues and and our and professionally in our industry and the special and development side, why we love our jobs because you know your day to day changes every single day. Some days you're working closely with the interior designers. Some days you're working very closely with the architects. Um, others you're sitting around the boardroom table with the most creative designers, um, you know, in, in our city. So 
there's not a, a strict sort of regiment or schedule, but if I were to, you know, if someone wants to ask, where do you spend most of your efforts and where do you think your, your value add as a company and your position, um, where, you're, where are you applying most of your concerted efforts towards? Um, it's certainly around how do we, to the consumer side, how do we best position our product so it meets consumer designs? So that's related to making sure that our floor plans are well thought through, that our interior design and features and spec is, you know, it matches or at least succeed or surpasses the market um, expectations. Another uh, you know, instances with creative designers, my, my, my job will be to strategize how do we best position our story to convey the right message to the end users or the investors. Um, so that definitely didn't answer your question. No, but, no, no. Uh, that's, that's, <laughs> that actually sounds, yeah. That, I think that answered it very well. And, and what, like, where do you guys draw the inspiration? Like, say for floor planning, uh, floor plans, for example, um, is it based on past, past projects and sales, like what's sold well, or is it based on buyer feedback? Like, where, where do you guys go? Like, where do you draw your inspiration from when right. you're designing a, a project? Um, I, I, I'll take that question and st- take it one step back. Um, anytime that, you know, I encourage anyone that I meet, and, you know, I love traveling. I really enjoy getting outside of Vancouver and seeing what else is out there. And specifically, when, when I travel to other destination or, or cities in North America, um, I find it, uh, you know, always through and through coming back fascinating to see how um, sophisticated our development industry is. And so when I, relating that to your question, you know, we rely on the sophistication of our industry, uh, the savviness of our consumers now that are probably the most sophisticated purchasers across across the board in any markets. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, our sales and marketing consultants such as Rennie or MLA Canada they've you know now collectively probably have you know uh, close to 50 40 years of experiences working with directly with consumers so we rely heavily on on consumer information through their sales and marketing teams um, you know the other guys such as urban analytics right. you know John and Michael the guys that were on your show before like they provide incredible insights and data points um, and no other cities really have I think a collection of very sophisticated consultants and a group of professionals in the multifamily side than Vancouver does so mm-hmm. you know it, it'd be we'd be foolish to say that it's all based on our own internal efforts and we rely heavily on our own internal resources, but we also look outside of our teams and rely on our consultants such as architects, interior designers, sales and marketing companies, um, the data providers to really augment that information. And it's our job to interpret that, to be able to then turn that around and design hopefully what we think is a very marketable product to to the marketplace. Right. That's an interesting point. Like that there's, there's consultant jobs in Vancouver that exist here that don't exist elsewhere. They're, right? Yeah. Like they've actually <laughs> been just created right. out of nothing. Yeah. yeah. We're working with, for example, there's one consultant. Um, I believe they, you know, it was just referenced internally at one of our meetings called Plan X and their job is to literally squeeze out every set of efficiencies in our building. So after the architects have gone through, they would get hired on as a consultant and somehow miraculously they would find maybe two or three parking stalls, you know, to increase that sort of efficiency for us. So, wow. So they review the building 
Just do a general audit of the building and say... Exactly. This is where we could find a little bit more. Exactly. So there's incredibly niche consultancy sort of professions in in our city that I find that I don't think you'll be able to find in most other sort of sub-markets or other greater markets across North America. Right. No, that's fascinating. And and so... I guess is that would you say your the fact of how multifaceted your your day to day is is that kind of what's most exciting about being in in the industry? Abs- yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the most exciting part is you know it our yeah our industry is is it's not only uh, a, such a large part of Vancouver now, um, um, but it also is such a large contributor back to our communities as well. So. On a on a day to day basis, like the reason why I get up for work and I'm super excited is you know that you're working on a plan, a set of drawings right now, and in two years from now that project will launch for pre sales, and in five years from now that project will be completed, and the keys will be handed over. And every time you drive down that road and you see that building now, five years. From, from now that you're looking at these drawings, you'll know that you'll have some level of contribution towards the community that you live in. Creating um, community. Creating, yeah. Yeah, creating community, creating housing opportunities. Right. So I think that's the most fascinating part about you know the work that we do. Yeah, no, that's true. And are you interested, like, do you, do you follow the market as an investor personally? Like, are you interested in real estate as part of your own investment portfolio? I think we all, uh, in a weird way, um, uh, you know, as a, as a, dweller or, or someone that lives in the city, uh, you know, subconsciously or consciously, everyone's tracking the market somewhere. <laughs> you know? yeah. Everyone has an opinion whether the housing is too expensive or too cheap yeah. or if it's the right time to buy. Um, but yeah, naturally for myself, uh, even personally and uh, and professionally, it's always been a topic that I've been interested in. So I track it very, very closely. Yeah. Right. But I mean, and that makes sense from being in the development. I feel like if you're in the real estate industry in Vancouver, it's almost like the uh, there's a default setting that you're the type of person that really is positive and positive about the city, but as somebody who's actually involved in building the community, I mean, it makes sense that, you, that people in the development industry are are bullish on on the city in general and excited about its future, right? Like that's you're, what you're literally doing all day is creating the future of the city. Absolutely. And what's not to be bullish about, about Vancouver, really? You know, I, and again, I, uh, one of the questions that I always ask uh, myself and others is any time that I've traveled out and come back to the city, there's a deeper level of appreciation for, for the place that we live in and we call yeah. home. You know, it's, yeah. you know, look outside, even on a uh, late November day, it's, you know, temperature isn't below freezing <laughs> you right. still could see the mountains in the distance you could go skiing and hop you know hop on a surfboard all within one day and there's not there's no other places around the world that offers what vancouver is so as a community as a profession as an industry i think um collectively we all should be very proud and excited for the city that we that we you know live in so, so maybe switching gears a little bit, it sounds like you track the market pretty closely. Um, we've talked since about late last year, we, and we did a seminar on this, but kind of pre-sale, resale, you know, and, and at each moment, um, the dynamics of, of uh, whether pre-sales make sense, I think, changes, right? right. We're, we're in a moment right now where we're having a very busy November, we're coming to the end of November, but number the sales are up, inventory's down. 
would you buy a pre-sale right now? Like, does a pre-sale make sense for you, either as an end user or an investor? I think um, the short answer is yes. Um, I think, but you got to be there's there's smart buys out there right now. Um, relative to the marketplace back in 2016, 2017, where everyone was just flocking into the pre-sale market. Right. right. You know, the market has changed drastically. Um, I would say to your point, like resales are, are more active. The sales activity right now is more active than it was last year. I don't know, you guys probably have the stats yeah. overgrown by, you know, growth of 40%, 40% yeah. or so. Yeah. Um, on the pre-sale side, we haven't seen that type of growth or, or, or a buoyancy, but, you know, everyone kind of you know, generalized the market being it's dead right now. Pre-sales is absolutely not dead. It's not rocket hot as it was in 2016 or 2017, right. nor do we want it ever to be that hyperactive. <laughs> um, but it's absolutely buoyant right now. You know, yes, yeah. uh, we've um, BD, we just launched a project um, back in June of 2019 called Storia. And it's uh, relatively, boot- it's a boutique building, 39 homes in Burnaby Heights very much an end user product where our average size of our home was 1100 square feet. Wow. And we sold through, you know, 80% of our homes there within two and a half weeks. So if you design a, the right product for the right end user right now, even at a pre-sale state, I think there's absolutely the right opportunities and the right purchase decisions, you know, and since then we've, that project has escalated and appreciated in prices. And, um, I don't think that's a common story in today's market for the pre-sale world, right. but there's, there's signs of life absolutely out there in the right pockets. I think Fraser Valley is another one that, um, hasn't really seen a slowdown even from a pre-sale state, right. you know, sure. price are still staying very buoyant they're not escalating like it was before but it's it's all about finding what makes sense for you as an investor or as an end user and making sure that um, you're not just blindly walking into a pre-sale project right now and i guess as a developer you kind of have to pivot and and interpret the market and what to build and where the market really is right i mean that's that's what you're kind of constantly doing as you as you go through different markets Absolutely. And um, BD as a, as a corporate sort of culture and especially on the residential side, we've always geared towards the end user in mind, even, you know, in the hottest times in the marketplaces, we, you know, we would envision a project where floor plans aren't micro suites, they're, you know, livable suites that you as an investor could even imagine yourself living in. Mm-hmm. And even from a quality of spec and feature, we we're not looking for value engineering exercises throughout our building where we understand that the markets, you know, sort of going through a reset the end users are certainly the types that are out there. And, it, you know, again, the proof of concept show was showcased at Storia where instead of pulling back our interior features, we actually went forward and said, we're going to deliver instead of stainless steel appliances, we're putting in a integrated appliance packages. Um, instead of going smaller on our units, we're actually going to go larger on our, on our homes because we saw a demand or at least a market opportunity there. The same goes for we have a project called the Heights on Austin and Coquitlam. And that's very much an end-user-driven product as well. So right. we've been very patient with our our purchasers, our realtors. Um, our, our sales are steady, but uh, we're exactly where we, we believe we need to be right now. And we've seen this market before back in 2011, 
back in 2013, 2014. So um, I think the more experienced developers or the community builders in our city recognizes that right now. And really, they're trying to build and design a, for a product that's going to be end user focused. Yeah, I think the the danger, and we talk about it on this show all the time, the danger of of making blanket statements about the market in general. Like a lot of people say, well, the market is, I heard the market is soft. Yeah. It's like, well, what does that mean, really? I mean, if you go down to sub-markets, there's, there's areas with a lot of activity. If you go down to product type, certain products are moving really quickly. And then also, if, you know, the tier, we talk about like the tier one and the tier two type properties where higher level finishes and everything else. And I guess it's, one, it's up to the developer to, to figure out what to build and where to build, but it's also up to, uh, you know, I think the agent or, or whoever's advising you on the market to advise you where still act, where there is activity. Because, I mean, if you go into a, a product like Storia and you think that you're going to get a ton of incentives and, and mm-hmm. meanwhile they're selling you know, you might be surprised, right, as the end user, potential purchaser. Yeah, that's absolutely, and we're seeing that across the board where some projects, and it's not, e- you know, equal or weighted um, all the same, you know, in the same submarket, you might have one site or one project offering, you know, X incentive and the other offering nothing. Yeah. Um, right. And it's all, I think, you know, to your point, I think you hit it right on. Um, I think the biggest focus if you are purchasing um, a pre-sale opportunity right now um, and the advice is this is the same advice I give my friends and my family it's you know really truly understand who you're buying from um, do your homework um, it is a three or a, it is a longer um, sort of process to get your keys in hand so um, I think but more more important than before and ever, you know, one, get pre-qualified, understand what your sort of financial arrangements could look like even two, three years down the road. Two is, you know, understand who you're buying from, who who the builder is, and wh- what type of reputable development sort of background and history and what their relationships look like with even the construction companies. Because a lot of the times, you know, it's one thing to launch a project and successfully um, sort of sell or, or hit a pre-sale target at certain mm-hmm. revenue. But the other weight of success is based on delivery of that home. And some of the potential challenges that some builders might have is actually being able to deliver that home in the the shape or form that you actually purchased in, or at least, you know, (laughs) you're expecting to manage expectations. Yeah. 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 It's like the Instagram photo versus the real life. <laughs> from the marketing materials, yeah. um, you know it's funny though. Like we we were talking about this the other day, also. Like you can execute on as a developer, as a as a marketing company as well. Um, you know from from the from the actual marketing, from all the different sales phases, right up to handing over keys. I mean, you have to. There's so many different areas to be good at, right? As a developer, right? Um, and so, I mean, yeah, you can see how complicated that would get. Absolutely. And where we focus um, most of our efforts or I think growingly a lot of, um, you know, the, the reputable developers that plan to, you know, that either have already existed in a marketplace for a long time and built a brand equity around it and that plans on being here for the next decades onwards, um, they absolutely will need to focus more so on their customer service and the home completion side right. and the construction efforts because your your sale is only as good as your last impression. So totally. if your last impression... It's actually yeah. kind of amazing how many 
dropped the ball. Developers dropped the ball at that stage. A lot of like, small to mid-sized developers. Yeah, really and even even a ball. couple of big ones where you're like, man, this deficiency walkthrough could not have went worse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's, like, you know, and, and a lot of the times it's um, you know there there's constraints and challenges, and so yeah. I think I truly believe that every or not maybe every, but the majority of even mid-sized, smaller, large developers, builders in our city truly have um, um, uh, um, the full intention and also the uh, they have all the intentions to deliver the home and the quality that they envisioned in. Sure. But along the way, you know, they're also challenged with their subcontractors, their trades. Materials, you know, everything, right? Yeah. They're, well, they're getting labor pre- costs and everything Exactly. Else, right? Labor costs. They're getting pressures from their, their financial partners to make sure that the returns are exactly what, you know. They perform it at. Yeah. at. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I think it's a very complex discussion and also a, um, a topic that's always reoccurring, I'm sure, at many offices around the city. Right. Um, but you know, as an industry right now, it's I think it's more important than ever before, where um, the, the especially for the pre-sale side, where the expectations are high, um, we need to deliver high-quality homes to our purchasers. And speaking back to the incentives, um, you know, there's projects that are offering great incentives out there, but the way that I see like deals or value is in two form. What is one is the short term values. So what, you know, are you getting $10,000 off or $20,000 off right now? And the other is the long term values. So who, again, going back to who are you buying from and how would your home appreciate in value in five, 10 years time from now? Right. If you're looking to even resale, if you're purchasing as an end user or an investor in five or 10 years from now, how will that building take form and what is a quality that's that's going to be delivered to you at the time of possession so that when you do look to resell it down the road after a number of years how would that building sort of you know hold in terms of that retainment value that's a huge yeah. thing and it's funny because we hear always on the resale side even 10 15 years later even sometimes like 25 years later people say oh this is a whatever developer building yes right exactly and then everyone gets yeah. excited about it and goes it's oh like well you know late like, 90s yeah late 90s talking about but the they're like oh right? it must be you know good construction or good whatever right absolutely and, and that's uh that's great and in a city especially in a market like vancouver where um where we are at such a high level in the development community like y- you can see how how the brand and the quality and the customer service would help you weather a downturn in the market downturn in the market much better than more like the fly by night and there's a tremendous flight to brand right now um yeah even yeah. at a consumer level they're asking the right questions more and more as we're seeing traffic come through um we did a customer survey both at our project at the heights on austin and storia and the top two reasons was location and developers reputation and the reason wow. for their purchase and we see that so we see that at a consumer level we also see that at a at a partnership level so a lot of financial partners will look to bring on coveted sort of developers that have a brand equity in the city that also knows how to manage your construction process as well um, and that's a, a an enormous factor that we're seeing more and more these days um so absolutely, I think brand and the focus around our brand, and I think especially the efforts that we're as on the marketing side, you know, we're we're probably um, more focused on our brand than ever before. 
um, to make sure. And when I say brand, we're not just throwing advertisements and promotions out there. Yeah. But we're truly involved in trying to integrate ourselves with our community. Um, so as I mentioned, you know, Ryan Beatty, he's been um, an investor, not a, I call it an investor, but also a contributor to our community in our backyard for years now. So right. the Beatty School of Business, that was the largest endowment that the Beatty family has contributed towards a post-secondary um, school. You know, we got the BD Illuminators program now. Um, collectively, as a company, uh, we get emails week in, week out on volunteer opportunities that we have with our partnered organizations. So I think brand, when I say brand, it's not just on the delivery of the homes, but just really how a company would act as a social or a corporate citizen yeah. in our community. Well, it's nice, and it's kind of, it makes me just think about a, a slowdown generally, how it kind of clarifies things, right? And it, I think it happened in our industry where, uh, like on the on the resale side, just who's adding value and kind of the cream rises to the top when it's not going gangbusters, and it's kind of the same thing, right? Like it's there's enough time to kind of step back and think kind of, broader about the vision and the strategy and uh yeah i think it's it's always a, a good thing for sure um i this is kind of a strange question but i was just thinking when you mentioned storia like so in this slowdown presumably the end you or the the downsizer is is looking at storia right larger homes really nice finishes um can you talk, I don't know how involved you were, but can you talk a little bit about kind of that decision-making process where you say, okay, we're going to make the homes bigger. We're going to double down on kind of integrated appliances. Like presumably you're consulting different data sets and consultants to do that. But the amount of pressure to make the right call in those boardrooms like it's funny before we went live adam was saying he dropped off a deposit to and an un- unknown an, un- an unnamed developer <laughs> where developer. it's like in the distance you can see three guys sweating in a boardroom or at least thinking very hard the hard about some some question but can you talk about kind of the pressure of of those situations and and how those calls actually get made yeah um you know, as 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 my boss would say, you know, you you know, out of ten decisions that you make, seven will be right and three are wrong, and that's you know, that's just the the probabilities of. You know, there's no exact science, you know, behind what will be proven right. All we could do is, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, is, you know. Um, utilize and leverage our partners and consultants information and their insights they have their pulse in the market we also have our pulse in the market so through conversations with smart guys like yourselves um we're trying to just always interpret what the best mm-hmm. decision is um but if i recall using story as an example we had two critical decisions that impacted the cost but on a marketing and sales and also a development side, I think two really important and successful decisions that we made when we look back on it. Um, one was this uh, decision to go another half parkade deeper to offer a second parking stall um, to large those large penthouse users. So, yeah. you know, if we're selling a, a condominium at you know million dollars, one point two million dollars, there's a certain level of expectation that comes with it, right? Sure. So, the debate, the back and forth was, well, that that additional parkade level will cost us X. Do you think we'll be able to see that back? And sometimes the question or the answer is, is that it's not a matter of will we see that back? In most cases, we try to monetize what that sort of impact will be on the performance. So do you think we could see it 
$10 of a premium to kind of put that so we could offset the cost. Right. But decision there was, no, we believe that this will be a binary decision. If we don't offer two parking stalls for some of these units, Mm-hmm. They will not. We will lose those purchasers. Right. We might not get even those homes to move at those prices. Um, and the same thing with our second critical decision was um, around an air conditioning unit. So most of the product, or ha- over half of the product, or competitors out in the Burnaby Heights area, did not offer air conditioning. Again, a, a substantial cost to us. But in this day and age, especially for wood frame building, low rise downsizers that are end users that are looking at, you know, they're coming from large single family homes. One of their biggest objections is how warm is our apartment going to be, especially when it's south facing in the summertime. So I think it's a matter of just having insightful conversations with the the partners that we have, the sales and marketing teams. Um, It's also another, you know, really understanding our numbers on the construction side. So continuously doing value engineering exercises Mm -hmm. to make sure that we're making decisions that are smart and effective, not blind saying, hey, let's just throw in everything and hope we get a return. It's about making critical decisions based on just all the different sort of touch points that we have with our trades and our consultants. Right. That's uh no that's that's fantastic, um so Sonny, just kind of maybe shifting a little bit more, kind of pulling back and looking at kind of the, all the areas in Vancouver. Do you have like a general area or or, or sub area that you're really excited about right now? Um, I have two in particular, but uh, one being you know it might come across being biased, but I truly do believe uh, we believe in the the Coquitlam submarket. Um, Coquitlam in general um, has seen tremendous growth, probably less so than Burnaby has in Metrotown or Brentwood areas. But that's the reason why I think there's so much potential and opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Where when we, when you think about affordability and housing sort of migration trends, you know, uh, investors, you know, tenants, everyone's looking going from west to east right now. So as Burnaby has you know skyrocketed in price points from I think it was you know four years ago around eight fifty a foot to close to eleven hundred now, and as Brentwood has shifted from six eighty to a thousand fifty a foot, and as Lowheed Town Center has gone from seven fifty to nine seventy five or a thousand, right? So, point that I'm making is there's been so much drastic, so many drastic um, appreciation in some of the, the prices just west of Coquitlam. When you look at Coquitlam, there hasn't been um, as many high-rise density. And now it's coming online with a lot of this, um, the per Coquitlam revitalization with the mm-hmm. Evergreen line. Um, but looking just even further east of that, where the Austin Heights area is, you have your five-minute distance to three SkyTrain stations. You're next to over uh, 750 acres of park spaces within a four-kilometer radius. You have a 90,000-square-foot community center that's a, a skating rink and an aquatic center called Poirier. Um, you're in the middle of a revi- revitalization again at the Austin Heights. So when we came out with the Heights on, or the Austin back in 2011, that was the first high-rise 19-story building that we launched. Since then, City of Coquitlam has put a moratorium on it. And with the Heights on Austin, when we launched last year, it was the first project to be back out to the marketplace since they've lifted that moratorium. So if you look at the Austin Heights area, it's no different than where Brooklyn was four years ago. It's going to go through a revitalization. Right. And albeit it's not directly on transit, um, some 
end users and investors don't want to be necessarily directly on transit around the chaos of everything that's going to take place. So mm-hmm. it's a very residential, uh, you know, a very friendly neighborhood to raise your family. It's close enough to the main transit nodes, Lowheed Town Center, which is a five-minute drive down the road. And for um, many people, they, you know, it's they'll be able to enjoy park spaces. It's a truly like a residential neighborhood that, uh, that right. you get to enjoy. And what's the second one you're most excited about? The second one, um, it's outside of outside of Metro Vancouver, and we don't um, necessarily have opportunities there, but Squamish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you look at the median age of, of migration patterns there, you know, over 62 or 63% are under the age of 38 it's years young. old. It's young. You feel young that when family. you're there. Totally. Right? It's crazy. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And it's only, a, a, you know, from North Vancouver, your 35, 40-minute drive. So either you may, you're making that decision to drive out up to Squamish from Metro Vancouver or you're moving out to Langley at that same sort of equidistance right. in terms of time and commute time. And, I mean, if you were to ask me, I'm, I'm picking Squamish all day long over Langley just based on the natural amenities and the outdoor sure. amenities. It's nice to drive to. Yeah. But it's, uh, and potentially the, uh, the biggest local mountain coming. Yes, absolutely. You know? Yeah. There's such a good feeling in Squamish. I don't know. Every time I'm there, I'm like, man, I, I could... It's a great feeling, yeah. And similar to... Um, <laughs> and, it's uh, just groovier out there, you know? <laughs> this is going back to your, uh, your Puka You're more David, Dave Matthews out there, man. And, um, <laughs> this is a throwback. <laughs> the uh, one other sub-market in Metro Vancouver is actually Port Moody. Um, Port Moody has become, you know, uh, uh, largely... Uh, um, it's been relatively sleepy. It's a sleepy bedroom community for many years. You know, not much has changed there. But uh, um, you know, if you follow retail trends and infrastructure trends, the SkyTrain nodes already out there. You know, you have all the best microbreweries in Metro oh, Vancouver. All, yellow dog, yeah, yellow dog, exactly. <laughs> that alone. <laughs> <laughs> Should have led with that. Yeah, yeah and also yeah. a SkyTrain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the yellow dog yeah. mode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a lot. That's it's. We actually, we got a, um, a friend of the show on talking about uh, craft breweries not long ago and how they're kind of reshaping communities, and it's it's incredible. Absolutely. Specifically is, with uh, moms on maternity leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He said it's uh the the new thing is the stroller parking outside of the microbreweries <laughs> right. uh, is is a big thing. But uh no, that's funny. No, yeah, I I, I agree with you with, with Squamish and Port Moody seem like uh no brainers for sure. Mm-hmm. And and they both have that very much that kind of that family like it sounds to me like you're looking you're kind of targeting in areas that, that provide the infrastructure for young families and community building. And I think it's it's interesting because that's part of the thing that Matt was saying is that you know, when you see a downturn, you kind of see what really resonates and what really matters in, in a market and in a city. And what we saw here is we saw end users, active end users. And we also have seen over the last two years, areas with really strong communities outperform areas where people felt like communities didn't exist, right? 
And I, I just, I think it's, that really ties in. It should tie into anybody's investment portfolio, like for, for the looking at the future of a, of a neighborhood, I think. Absolutely. And you got to think, you know, if you're investing, even looking at it from an investor standpoint, you're thinking at how are you going to get your top dollar or at least a, a competitive lease rate? And you got to think as a tenant, as, you know, if you're, if you were to live there and if you're younger, generally tenants, you know, and again, this is an exact stat, but for the most part, you know, if you're looking at a renter, they might be typically a little bit younger as well. Like, what are some of the trends that they're looking for that they're willing to pay an additional twenty-five or fifty dollars a month just to be in that location? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Almost look for the not necessarily the best deal, but the best value, right? Is the kind of idea there? And I think, yeah, I mean, it's it seems this downturn turn going back to what you said. If it's proven anything. It's proven that, that the value... The, well, the security of the local market, I think, and the security of, uh, of, of people that are buying and selling real estate not as a not so much as a hobby but as <laughs> well yeah or yeah like trading like stocks or something like yeah, that yeah. but actually <laughs> yeah. you know making choices about the way they want to live their lives right yeah and even from a um a product like if we're diving into a, a sub market and a pro- sub product type you know i've been sort of analyzing the the grandview woodlands area for the past couple of months and yeah. especially looking at some of the duplex sites or the listings that come online if it's priced well, which is under a million five, and it has, it's relatively new, good design on it, it's flying off right now yeah, within yeah. a week, two Matt's weeks. Is that, on, uh, uh, is, Grandview. yeah, this will be, well, Matt, Matt's, and, now here comes a bunch of selfish uh, questions yeah, yeah, about mass redevelopment <laughs> potential here. Wait for I, it. No, it's, uh, yeah, my, all my questions are block specific. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but are you just watching that? Uh, is it f- from a kind of personal standpoint or just interest in, because you're looking at newer duplexes, if I understand, like yeah. the new stuff that's hitting? Yeah, just out of interest and, uh, yeah, personal note as well. Just, again, just tracking, um, you know, where trends are shifting towards for yeah. younger families. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, uh, 10 years ago, the shift in focus was around the West Side addresses because it has great school catchments. Um but unfortunately, now at some of the prices that the West Side even townhome offers, you're as a young family, you're you're kind of limited in choice and and the space that you have. So I think um, when you look at affordability um, factors, as well as socially and culturally, yeah. where do you want to hang out? Because because that's not not to cut you off, but that seems like the interesting. Uh, thing that's happening right now is I was just talking to a guy who owns a half duplex in Kits and he was looking at stuff in Grandview and he's like wait this doesn't make sense like that this doesn't we're too close this makes no sense to me at all but it's about it's it's that it, it, it the the move east happened I think in part because of affordability at the start and and now it's kind of just become the the community that people want to be in right um and it's kind of hollowed out a lot of those communities in the west side in a way that might be a, too strong of a word definitely not kits but uh yeah. hollowed out certain communities where people just aren't keen to be there but then this the weird thing right now is like something in my neighborhood the gap doesn't exist the, anymore. something in my neighborhood the same level. almost the same square footage and same age and something in kits you're like there's not yeah not it's like huge almost margin. almost the same and one's like a few blocks from the beach right? yeah so yeah that's the that's and you and on a on a multi-family level you're seeing that even between metro town and brentwood whereas you know uh, even up to two years ago you would find that 
Metrotown saw a hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars of a premium over Brentwood. But now with everything that's happening with the amazing uh, Brentwood location and that sort mm-hmm. of coming to life, the gaps diminishing and it's closing in. And I think again going back to like you got to think where are the retail trends and like where do you want to be and hang out? Yeah, right. And if Metrotown is or Brentwood is becoming more and more equal to that of Metrotown, the gaps, I believe, going to naturally close in. No different than why I think a half duplex or a duplex site in East Van is trading at, you know, not maybe exact, but close, closer numbers or closer gaps to yeah. what West Side homes are trading at. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, a large part of that is as a young family, you look at school catchments, but, you know, you're looking at the median household income in East Vancouver has come up drastically as well over the years just by that migration pattern happening so totally. in turn schools the the teaching the education yeah, everything has everything is improving improving exactly yeah. it's funny too because I, I think even if you have the budget for the west side people often make decisions by where their their people are too right their their friends where family are and everything else and so i mean even if you have that budget that you could go to the west side often people are thinking well i want to be in maybe an area like grandview because that's where friends from my age group or socioeconomic, you know, area or whatever, that's where they're buying, right? That's you want to be right. close to your friends. And that's family, where I think uh, townhomes specifically in Langley and the Fraser Valley has really hasn't been all that impacted because, you know, as you, rightfully you just pointed out, if all of your friends are living out in Langley now based on affordability or, or uh, their lifestyle, mm-hmm. you're the only one living in Vancouver. Well, what's, what's the point? Yeah. You, know, yeah. Well, you might as well pack up your bags and drive. be, yeah. you don't do it because the cool coffee shop, like the cool <laughs> coffee shop can't bring you that far. Out, yeah. Right? Just, yeah. And, and it's, you know, we might be generalizing a little bit too much here, but you know, I do believe that, uh, um, you know, retail trends really take, they pioneer, uh, you know, a way for us as a company to look at different opportunities because um, that ultimately impacts the types of dwellers that are moving into that area. And as we look at the types of dwellers, that's how we program our our multifamily, you know, high rise or low rise or townhome densities, really to suit whichever demographic that is. And, and so I'm just thinking from a mom and pop investor perspective here, like when you say. BD's watching retail is the kind of uh, strong indicator for where you guys want to be. Um, can you just talk a little bit about that? Like, what are you guys looking for? Uh, and my idea here is just somebody listening at home that's like, ah, I might want to buy an investment. I'm thinking long-term potential. Like, how are you guys going about that? Um, I would maybe, maybe watching is, because we certainly don't have like a, a team of analysts that are, at least on the BD living side that are watching specifically retail trends. But the benefit that we have as a company is we're the largest um, developers and and providers for industrial developments. And as that relates to retail trends and they're seeing shifts happen with their tenants, um, that some of that information relates back to the living side where we could then interpret that information to make some key decisions. Um, another note is again, just you know, I don't think it, it's it's not um, you know rocket science. I think I encourage every time. That's one thing that I love doing when I'm outside and 
outside of Vancouver, traveling to other cities, or even outside of, you know, visiting different municipalities in Port Moody, or, or I'm always looking out for what restaurants are moving out here now. Um, what cool bars or hip bars are starting to take form here? Because that's a real signal for me personally to say, hey, but this is a, quite an interesting community that's going to have some character now. And with character, that's going to have interest and people are going to start talking a little bit more. And I think Bury Row down at Port Moody is a classic example of that. You know, industrial zoning, industrial sites, you know, back 10 years ago, no one was really talking about Port Moody that it, it deserved. But now everyone's been talking about, hey, have you been out to to Moody Ale or Yellow Dog and in turn they're visiting Rocky Point Park and then they're checking out the neighborhood and they're checking out the schools they're like oh my god this is an incredible opportunity to live here Mm -hmm. so um, yeah so that's a long winded answer of that but um, yeah we're not studying it specifically but I'm sure there's again going back to uh, smart important consultants I'm sure there's someone that analyzes just retail trends like this out there and it's it's interesting though that you guys, considering you have the different divisions um, at BD, you can kind of one will inform the other, and obviously that that makes a lot of sense as well, right? Um, how how much control do you guys um, how much control do you have on on the commercial leases for for like your buildings for mixed use? Like, do do you do you, when you when you're building something, are you securing the the or whoever the potential commercial tenant is going to be early on in the project? Um, Or it must vary from project to project, I guess. Absolutely. So in a case like Station Square, where it was jointly, um, it was a joint development with Anthem Properties. And we believe that it was a huge success from all fronts um, in terms of residential sales, uh, in terms of the community that we created there. Um, One key strategy there was to uh, lease out the the commercial spaces ahead of time and identify key tenants that would add significant value to that to that neighborhood so um, we work as an example in the commercial office retail space is a tenant that we have put in place there cactus club and earls are there sharing a wall uh, which is a first they've ever done as well so um, we've identified by identifying these key tenants indirectly or directly it provided a a benefit to the the residences above and the whole metro town community so at times where possible i think um uh, you know bd's absolutely strategically you know we try our best to curate the best tenants for that use for that location um other opportunities where um we it's for sale we 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 try to um manage that process closely with our partners that we have the listing agents to make sure that uh, it's not going to be a detriment to the to the building or the residences above but um overall you know i think commercial mixed use retail spaces right now is probably one of the hottest asset classes right. in our, in our industry right now right 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 um, and we we know we don't have you too much longer here, Sonny. So we a couple quick maybe final questions here. Um, do you have a do you have a favorite investment that you've ever made personally? Um, in real estate or outside? Maybe oh. both. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, I would say if I could tell again anyone or myself, the best investment for myself is always to travel. It's yeah. it's to get outside of Vancouver. Some people see it as you know you don't have something tangible, so they don't really see it as an investment. But I've learned always every time I come back home, I've learned something else or something. Totally. I I actually love this idea with the the idea of perspective, right? 
like the gaining perspective by going somewhere else uh, on Vancouver, and especially in this industry, it's like, I mean, it's for anyone in any industry, perspective is important. But you know, it sounds like that Singapore trip was was important. North Korea was important. It sounds like you've uh, a lot of uh, your travels have informed the way you approach things, which is which is kind of interesting for sure. Um, you might have more of a uh, okay, cool. Well, yeah, I was going to say that the other one, uh, a piece of advice for smart driven millennials that want to get into our industry. Um, I would. Uh, um, advice number one would be be patient. Um, I think especially a lot of the millennials or even um, including some of my colleagues around my age right now, everyone's, you know, everyone's e- equally, in fact, more intelligent than ever before. You know, we got smart kids coming yeah, from the system. I feel like the talent pool yeah. is, is <laughs> impressive, yeah. I, for one, would have never passed through or at least um, made it through solder if, you know, I had the same requirements or the expectations. But, you know, with... That level of intelligence comes sometimes impatience. So a lot of, you know, there's a level of entitlement that comes through with that as well in this new age. And everyone wants a promotion within a year. Everyone wants to move on to a different job because they're bored of it. Um, I, You know, my advice would be stay patient. And there's a real, I think, I truly believe in the topic of, of mastery. Um, even if it's one field or one topic, you know, it takes right. 10,000 hours to truly master me professional. I think that's one thing that, you know, as an industry, we do have a limited labor pool. Um, and, you know, and, and to really be professionals in our space takes a lot of time and effort. Um, so I think the advice will be stay patient, stay focused, persistent. And, you know, I think there's any opportunity in the world for them, uh, especially in our space, if they, if they do that. And earn it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And maybe just uh, we've got the five wire, five. Yeah, but questions. wait a second. Before we get to the five wire, because my question here is uh, just what's your take or, you know, you've talked to a lot of smart people, a lot of consultants. You're a really bright guy. 2020, what does it look like? 2020, I think uh, on the resale side, um, I was just at a nail breakfast this morning with uh, a deputy economist there, and I share a lot of his sentiments. The The resale sales activities strong. It's stronger than it was last year. Um, prices are you know drastically coming off or coming on or growing. I think we're going to see a buoyant market where you're going to see stronger sales activity come in the spring market uh, for resales. I think pre-sales, um, you Year over year, we've drastically reduced number of supply um, for pre-sale launches. So naturally, I believe there's going to be time and place where as resale inventory diminishes, there's not going to be as much deals out there for that. A lot of the focus is going to shift back to the pre-sale side where at that point in time, incentives won't be as available or on the table. Um, Sales will start tracking higher. So 2020, I think, you know, relatively buoyant market, both for resale and pre-sales. But um, on the pre-sale side, the longer outlook is, you know, based on how few projects or supply is coming online at the rate that demand should be absorbing. Um, right now, I think, you know, we, we should see a pretty healthy pre-sale market come back around, you know, not too, long, not too far in the distant in our future. Are prices higher in July of 2020 than they are today? Yes, based on the sales volume and the sales activity that's taking place on the resale side right now, mm-hmm. I believe prices will have to be moderately, you know, increased or at least you know stable. It's definitely not going backwards than it was in 2018. 
All right. Well, and uh, yeah, so quickly, the five wire, five quick questions about Vancouver. Uh, Homer, don't hurt him. Uh, please, please, Homer. Uh, number one, favorite neighborhood in Vancouver? Uh, Fairview Slopes. Favorite bar or restaurant? Ann and Chi. Oh, I love that one. Ooh. That's a good one. What is one book that you'd recommend anyone listening? The Alchemist. Wow, that's our second time getting The Alchemist. The you Alchemist? Yeah. No, I have not read it. Yeah, I, I heard The Optimist there. The, the Alchemist. <laughs> I was like, I haven't, I haven't even heard of that book. You're like, I heard On the Toad. <laughs> um, what is one piece of advice that you'd give your 18-year-old self? Uh, listen more. Interesting. More. Last years, question. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, there you go. What is something you have bought in the last year or two for under $1,000 that has changed your life? I mean, literally speaking, it would be my own uh, uh, ring purchase. I just got married last last month, so oh, that's literally really changed my life. Congrats. <laughs> nice. Under a thousand bucks. Hey, man, you got the market stuff out there. <laughs> market stuff. Well, thanks so much for your time, uh, Sonny, and uh, that was that was really good. Homer time. Yeah. How can people find out more about you and and BD? Um, you could reach out directly through uh, my handle, I guess. Oh it's yeah, Homer time <laughs> nice. on the old IG. Or uh, yeah, my name's unique enough to find online on the on the interweb. So yeah, Sunny dot home. Perfect. Yeah, Sunny and is, is it BD.com? It's bd.ca, so sunny.home at bd.ca for any questions or reach out. Yeah. Right on. Well, thanks so much for your time. That was great. Thank you. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Sunny Hom, Director of Marketing and Strategy at BD. And uh, that one did not disappoint. Nearly a director of a film, a producer. Yeah, I think I, credits, I think so. I said director, but co-producer. Yes. Uh, interesting yeah. guy all around. Interesting, very interesting guy. He seems to have a larger purpose. I like this bringing down borders things and yeah. connecting on a well, human level. We've talked about the importance of travel for understanding like local markets and by kind of going abroad, right? I mean, we've, we've kind of covered that on the yeah, show. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I, like Sunny, I always get more perspective when I, when I leave the city. First of all, it makes me appreciate Vancouver more. But it also gives me insight into either the direction that we're heading or the direction, you know, it, it doesn't take long traveling elsewhere to learn how cities are navigating issues with affordability or with, with transportation. Totally. Um, and the list goes on, right? Public spaces, public art, everything, right? It's uh no that that's that's a very good point. But uh we do have a book to give away we before do. we go. So this is Larry Beasley's signed copy of Vancouverism. Yes. Now the way you enter into this contest of course is you go to Google, you write Vancouver Real Estate Podcast on the right-hand side there's a business profile, you hit review, you write a review. Yes. You get entered into the draw. We have a winner this week. Secret. The winner is Graham Brewster. Oh, congratulations, con, con, Graham. Congrats, Graham. Uh, he writes, awesome guests and always an entertaining listen. I appreciate the varied content and speakers bringing different points of view and insights together to help understand what is going on in the market as much as anyone can. Started listening a year ago, now caught up on all and look forward to the next ones coming out. How do you think that went, Secret? Um, was there any swan song for there's a, there's a uh, was <laughs> those, those commas are a breath, I think, eh? <laughs> 
that he was trying to get through it so quick. Congratulations, Graham. Get in touch. We got a signed copy for you here. What else do we got before we go? There's a couple more things. Yes. One, December 11th, 7 p.m. Cannot wait. Amazing guest. It's kind of an ask me anything, but we'll come Vancouver up with a Vancouver Real topic Estate as well. Live. It's just hanging out. It's hanging out on YouTube. We're live. You can be wherever you want to be. Uh, get in touch if you have questions in advance. You can also ask questions in real time. And uh, there's some great guests. Last, last time we started it by seeing who was looking at their phone the most. Right. Um, and and uh, I've got my phone time down about an hour since then. Really? A day. Yeah, I'm down to about uh, four hours a day now. Well, anyway, it was it was very it was a it was a good time. This yeah. one's going to be excellent. So that, and we also got our website. We, we can't do forget VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for all things real estate, where we have resources like private client services. And Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information at your fingertips. It's free. It's available on our website, and really, you got to be using PCS. It's uh, it's the best. If you're not using PCS, you're doing it wrong. We also got the live wire. That's our weekly email. We're sending out stats. We're sending out deals of the month. Yep. Uh, sometimes when we see good presale, we'll send that out. I mean, it's a, it's it's, it's a always, list you want to yeah. be on. It's a it, list. There's you no be reason on. you shouldn't be on it. That that's absolutely the case. If you want to talk about that or anything else real estate related, give me a call at 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also got that secret line. Info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Speaking of old rap, remember when uh, Secret got that ICT album and, and <laughs> titled it I-C-E-T-E-A? <laughs> that was a cassette. Yeah. That was a cassette, yeah. yeah. True story. <laughs> true story. <laughs> All right, take care, guys. <laughs> From the true gangster himself, <laughs> Nestie. <laughs> Have a good week. 2,000 Faces for Radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple 
life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join typing in VRP 2020.